name is Christian Matson. I usually perform music on stages when they're open as the tallest man on earth. And um, right now I'm in the countryside of Sweden, where I, where I live. My body's in the summer storm And my mind is with a feeling after All memories I can't recall I'm moving on but they run faster Hey folks, welcome back to the show on the road from home. My music discovery podcast where each week I take another sonic vacation with some of my favorite songwriters and performers around Spaceship Earth. Now, if you're listening to this right now, you may already be aware that Christian Matson is in fact an internationally lionized Swedish poet, performer, and uber-talented multi-instrumentalist, not actually the tallest man on earth, who I believe currently is a Turkish farmer by the name of Sultan Kusin, who is the tallest living male right now at 251 centimeters, or 8 feet 2 inches. I don't know about you, but I was one of those kids that got a Guinness Book of World Records every Christmas, and uh, Christian is not in there. But I have been a fan of his work since he first broke out of the indie rock scene in Sweden and began releasing a series of cryptic and hauntingly beautiful folk records, starting with 2008's Shallow Grave and 2010's The Wild Hunt. And while he comes from a little town three hours outside of Stockholm, Matson always had bigger dreams. He started touring with Bon Iver and other like-minded Dreamy Roots artists as he started getting known, bringing a new sense of exploration and fearlessness to acoustic music that had never been heard before. Many writers have compared Christian to a new wave Bob Dylan with his cut to the quick voice that is both high and sharp like a shard of ancient audio shining in the sun, but I see something a little different. I hear a sound explorer, a lost soul who cherishes his own sense of lostness. One of the things that was most intriguing in our conversation was when he talked about retuning his instruments in ways where he had to relearn how to play them over and over again, forcing his fingers and his angular voice down alleyways he'd never tripped down before. And in some of his most played songs like Love Is All and King of Spain, which have been listened to hundreds of millions of times around the world, you can see him discovering the light at the end of the tunnel he's dug himself into as he hurtles into the choruses headlong, falling from his high lilt into an ominous Viking whisper or then rising into a growl like an anguished animal lashing out at its place in the cruel cosmic order. If there's one thing that Madsen shares with luminaries like Bob Dylan or his other heroes Roscoe Holcomb, Emmylou Harris, Skip James, and Paul Simon, is his ability to write songs that seem to dance on the tightrope of timelessness. His ability with a repurposed banjo and a guitar corkscrewed into a new tuning that he invented on the spot to distill the jagged power of pre-war blues and folk field recordings and make them feel urgently part of our time. You'll notice that even on his sublime newest LP, I Love You, It's a Fever Dream, which he recorded completely himself, isolated in an apartment for a month, the sounds are cleaner, the vocal is sweeter, and the delivery softer, but there's still a feeling like he's figuring out his own mind, getting lost in his own stories, and we have been dropped into a world that only he can inhabit. The water's cold, but my will have a way to cross it, and I know I held the time so deep. In fact, the very first song, Hotel Bar, starts with noise, a chair creaking, lights buzzing, a bus maybe hissing by the window. In many ways, it's a tiny time capsule, one man stuck in one room, and to me, it's a soundtrack to our modern isolation, one that we've had to create to protect ourselves, but also one that takes us away from our friends and families each day, keeping us awake at night with just ourselves and that pulsing blue light of our phones for company. 
Christian has been alone for almost this whole last year in a small house in the Swedish countryside. His marriage long over, his tours long canceled. Admittedly, he's losing himself a bit each day and then finding his way back through the music. We often ask our favorite artists to walk through fire and break the boundaries of sanity so we don't have to. And honestly, I worry a little about Christian after talking to him across the ocean a couple weeks ago. But I'm also waiting patiently for the songs that will be flung out of that isolation. And it reminds me how important it is to keep creating during times of crisis. And that it's our jobs as songwriters to document what's really happening right now, even if it's just us in one room, in one town. As a songwriter, I've often struggled with the idea that what I write doesn't really matter in the end, that no one will remember it within 5, 10, 50 years, so what's the point? But maybe songs are like children. Sure, you raised them, you fed them, you nurtured them, you inspired them, but after a while, they don't belong to you. They're bigger than you. Maybe they'll inspire other people. Maybe they'll grow up to be president, or maybe they'll grow up to be a serial killer. You don't know. And in case you're wondering, the tallest man on earth in human history, well, it's not that Turkish farmer, but a guy named Robert Pershing Wadlow, who was born in 1918 and passed away in 1940, also known as the Alton Giant and the Giant of Illinois. He reached 8 feet 11 inches. And even at the time of his death, at 22, there was no indication that his growth had ended. I know it's a weird segue, but I'm also hoping that Christian Madsen, in his little cabin in Sweden, never stops growing as a songwriter and never stops getting lost inside the twists of his own mind. Anyway, thanks for being on this journey with me, everybody. If you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or go to our website, theshowontheroad.com slash episodes for all of our previous shows. We have some really cool shows coming up, including my talk with Betty Levette and Shaky Graves. So please subscribe and tell your friends. Okay, hold on tight. Here he is now, Christian Madsen, or the tallest man on earth. Stillness in the ways I try. As I lean into the morning light, tack my body in some other town. I first uh, fell in love with your music probably 10 years ago plus. Um, I'm always struck by artists who don't grow up speaking English as their first language, who then use poetic uh, lyrics to sort of bring you in. Because really it's just you and your guitar for most of those early releases. Um, where did you start writing your lyrics? You know, How young were you and did you always start it in English or was it in Swedish to start? Most of it has been in English, yes. I only had like a a little, a, a dip my toe into writing in Swedish when I was really pretentious and like 18 and it was really, it was really bad. No, it's always been English because, you know, growing up on the countryside, not a lot of things going on. So a lot, a lot of daydreams about, you know, the world and what it could be and looking out into it and before doing this I was in rock bands and we were playing like garage rock and I wanted to be we wanted to be Iggy and the Stooges and wrote so I wanted to be Iggy and David Bowie wrote so I wrote really 
pretty crappy songs in, in English. And then I started doing this, and I think there was always like a, I knew that if I would just like sing in Swedish, I would just be, you know, stuck here. Maybe I could go to Norway and Denmark and sing in, uh, you know, in our gibberish languages. But I wanted to, you know, I, I was daydreaming about going, going farther than that. So, and in the beginning, I mean, and ignorance, just bliss. I could just write stuff. I wasn't that good at English in the beginning of my career, so it was not hard. It was not hard to write poetry in English in the beginning because you could just make stuff up. Yeah, yeah I think there's sometimes um, a disadvantage to knowing too much of the language, you know, where um, I get in my own head sometimes and I've written songs probably since I was 13 years old, where you're thinking about, well, this sounds just like a Paul Simon song, or this sounds like a Nina Simone song. Whereas I think when you are coming at it from a completely different place, uh, there's not a lot of other folks like you, you know, so you're sort of isolated in this little bubble where you can create something that's wholly you. Yeah, and there's a big freedom in that and something I'm trying to... (laughs) <laughs> I come back to because it has actually gotten harder. That might be because of other reasons too, and growing up and you know becoming more boring and and fearful. But yeah, learning a language better and like been touring in America since two thousand eight. I think that's thirteen. It's thirteen years, and you know I'm being in relationships with American women. They like really need to, you know, step up your... Sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's great. It's actually, I mean, <laughs> that's, it's a big, that's a complicated subject, but I actually I, I enjoyed, enjoyed that. But then you really have to step up your game uh, of language. So in the last, let's say, five or six years, my English has gotten way better. And, but with the understanding of it and with the little details, lyric writing is just got a little more complicated because you know you start to think more about what's right or wrong you know? see the sadness of the sailor as I will scratch his deep blue floor already in my years of bad luck oh, I broke his mirror long before when I dive into the water I've raised the bottom I was listening to the contrast between your latest full record, uh, I Love You, It's a Fever Dream from 2019, and your debut record, uh, which I, you know, had first heard in 2008, Shallow Grave, and I just feel like um, you could hear the progression between the two of you not having to project so much, not having to perform so much, that I think there's a little bit of a softer, more introspective side to this new record. Um, and it feels like almost your Nebraska, your Springsteen's Nebraska in a way with the, you know, equi harmonica and, and yeah. you did it all yourself, sort of like he did with that one tape recorder in his basement. And it feels very intimate, yeah. very personal. Um, that opening track, Hotel Bar, feels like almost like the last 
like a memory of a different time right before it all ended for me, you know, where you could go into a strange hotel bar and meet these strangers that could change your life, you know, and that these small moments uh, can really change the trajectory of your existence. And that those tiny moments where you meet strange people in strange new places, they don't exist right now. No. You can't do that. No, and that back when I when I wrote that, I thought that that was loneliness. <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that kind of vacuum of it being by yourself in a, in a hotel in a weird place and, you know, you're just like looking for looking for other people and now I've been mostly alone in this house for nine months and now I just want to go to go to a damn hotel somewhere <laughs> sit in a bar <laughs> the end of night I hum alone the driver's turning up the dance he song how many heartaches in this car I wonder all I can do is say things will be fine About that album, you're—I mean, yeah, you are right. I did, I did record it by myself in my apartment. I set some like—I didn't—I didn't go here in Sweden. I have a, I have a great studio here, and I, I, you know, I could could have gone to a studio, but I wanted to do that in my apartment. And I was just by myself for a month, and I wrote the songs and I recorded it, and I had very limited uh, equipment there, but I just wanted to do that as a as a thing. But sure, it's very, and it, so it, it became very, it, it is very soft and very, you know, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. But I mean, it's so different from like the, that first debut album. That was just another world because that was me just like starting to play shows as the tallest mountain earth and playing in like in shitty small places with. I mean, other places weren't shitty in themselves, you know, but like with bad PAs and loud bars that I had, yeah. you had to win over and <clears throat> so I had to project my voice a lot and like play really, like project my playing to just like, mm, just, just get out there and and win people over. There was a thing. And then with years going and I could play like bigger stages and bigger stages and nice PAs and then all of a sudden I can just whisper into a microphone and everyone could hear it because everyone was quiet so that yeah that, I think that led me to allow myself to on, a, on an album just kind of just kind of mumble into the microphone well that mantra that you have in Hotel Bar in the chorus it feels like we all kind of need someone to say that to us right now. You know, that things will be fine. Some days uh, will be, and all I can do is say things will be fine. You know, yeah. like, it's like you're telling yourself that this loneliness or this sort of sense of emptiness won't last. And that maybe someone at this bar will change everything. You know, that this connection of everyone in the world sort of coming in and out of each other's lives in these transitory spaces um, 
it feels like something that we've lost. Um, and when you're on the road and you're a touring musician, you connect with people so quickly, you know, that you feel like you're going to be friends forever or, you know, and then it, maybe it's just that one night at that one bar. Yeah, well, I have to. I mean, I have to believe that we, you know, that we will get back to that because it can't just be me. As a musician, how I built into my life, you know, my close closest friends are my my other family family I see the most are the crew that I travel with all the time and all all of a sudden they are not there and then when most of your other friends are musicians touring all the time then you have that as I talk and sing about a hotel bar like like one day we'll magically end up in I know that we'll mag- end up in the same city and we'll be we'll be together again and I was living in <clears throat> I had that luxury of living in in New York City, which is, you know, where a lot of bands come through. So I would know if I, in the moments when I, mm-hmm. when I wasn't on tour, if I just stayed put, there will be there would be a friend coming into town almost every, every weekend. And so I'm here now where I do have, I have a core group of friends. And I would say luckily two of them have antibodies at <laughs> COVID, so I can see them once in, <laughs> once in a while. But... I don't have that same foundation here around the house where I live in. You can see the progression on your records, uh, starting with Shallow Grave, Wild Hunt, There's No Leaving Now. You wanted to keep yourself sort of a little more mysterious, right? There's only imagery of nature, uh, and, you know, you really didn't show yourself on your album art until maybe 2016 or somewhere in there, you know? Um, and some of those early songs are very unadorned. There's not a lot of reverb, right? It's it's you playing high on the neck of the guitar, you know, some interesting tunings. You know, like I Won't Be Found, for example, it's very about nature, about sort of the, the rules of the animal kingdom in a way. And I'm trying to, like, see where you fit into that progression, you know? When you're when you're talking about you know the Serengeti, you're gonna hide like a mole deep in the ground so no one can find you, you know, like where did those songs come from? Yeah, but that I mean in that example, there's that's, that's you know that's a pretty that's a literal steal from Mole in the Ground, the old folk song. I wish I was a mole in the ground. Uh, is that line? But I was listening so much to that those old. The old folk songs with really weird imagery. And like in that song, I wish I was a lizard in the spring so I could hear my darling sing. And But it's like a, it's kind of a sad love song in the, like right. in the foundation of it. So that always intrigued me. When you're feeling, if you have anxiety, there was a big freedom in that. There was a big freedom in, in that expression because that just the same as putting your capo really high up and getting into weird tunings and just like finger pick the hell out of it that was very liberating it was very liberating to me and the nature imagery was very natural to me because I grew up 
in the woods. And my playing field was in the woods. You know, just behind my house was the, the woods and the, a lot of lakes and uh, big rocks you could climb, you know? So that was, it felt I could apply the imagery from those old songs into just my own life. Well, if I ever get that slumber, I'll be that mold deep in the ground. I saw you at the Wiltern in L.A. many years ago. Yeah, 2012. And Or was it later? Yeah, I think it was during the Wild Hunt, maybe. So it, or, uh, but it was just you. There's no leaving now, probably. Yeah, yeah 2012, 2012. Just yeah. you on a, a stage you know, in, a, in a place that can fit about 3,000 people. I was up in the balcony. I think I wanted to have binoculars so I could see what weird tunings you were going into because you spent, I would say, at least like a fifth of the performance walking around the stage in silence, sort of retuning and tuning and tuning your guitar into like different permutations. How do you find your tunings? Like what, what is, is there a method to the madness? Not really a method to the madness. No, it's just, it's just finding a... <clears throat> I have my standard tunings that are maybe like seven of them that I go back to. There's not maybe once a year, there's a new one coming in, but it's just about, you know, getting a little lost because I, I get really into one tuning and I play in that tuning for a while and then I become a little too familiar with that. And then I'm not writing songs as much or I'm writing kind of imitations of what I just wrote or that which starts to feel like cliches to me even though it only been for a couple of months but then I just jump into another tuning where I'm a little lost and I just I you know I search around it and I find oh there's a really good four chord in here like oh the sixth chord is not that you know full so I'm just gonna avoid that and and it gives me you know <clears throat> I don't know it gives me limitations that are really are really good. I, you know, I, here here are four really cool chords. Let's make a song out of that. That I'm not gonna like learn. I'm not gonna learn all the inversions and everything in this tuning. I'm just gonna write a song in these. But back to yeah. the Wiltern. Hold on. Like that. I'm so happy those days are over because even though maybe I mean that was the. F I mean I do have a good memory. That was the first show of the tour, so maybe it was a little rusty. But I had worked in like a system yeah. of. You know, tuning, and it wasn't just like going from like a wild tuning to wild tuning. It was like the songs were going from this tuning to the closest tuning to the closest tuning to the closest tuning. But I've I'd done it so many times, so it was like I could do a little banter while I was tuning and try to put it into the show. But it took so much energy because I had to like talk to the audience with one brain and tune with the other brain and dance and dance sometimes with the other brain and it was just it was just exhausting so now i'm super lucky that i have amazing guitar techs and i'm more set and team grundman that you know so i can travel with 14 guitars or whatever i tour with and it comes out perfectly tuned so do you feel that isolation brings out the best creative ideas from you or that it can start to make you uh, 
almost lose your mind a little bit when it's been this long being by yourself so much? Oh, definitely the, you know, the later one. It's, uh, it's definitely not my... I've, I've realized, like before, when I did the last album, I was, I was by myself for a month in my apartment to do that, but that was chosen solitude. Yeah. I had chosen that. I could, I could leave that at any point. So that was inspiring, but this has not been optimal in terms of inspiration, and um, it's actually been really hard for me to to finish songs. And because um, I've realized that I, I do draw inspiration from other people, meeting other people, and hanging out with other people, and also from having daydreams, like writing a song. And like, I will perform this there, or I will, you know, I will, yeah, usually that, or I will record it and the song will be out in the world. We'll play it at a show. But now, since like, was it last fall when we just it started to get really dark of just like, no, it's everything. I don't, can't like have any hopes, any hopes of anything happening. Right. You just have to like not, not think about anything happening and just like sit tight. And that just like kind of put a lid on my inspiration because there was nothing to daydream about and that made it really hard for me to, to fin. I mean, I play music all the time, but it would, it just had me work maybe say 55% of the song and then just like, well, let's put it aside. Yeah. So I have a lot of unfinished songs right now. You know, I realized the other day when I was, you know, trying to write in a, notebook you know journaling that you know I've stopped uh having the urge to journal or to to tell the story of my existence because there's nothing to tell a lot of times it's you know well I I made breakfast and wrote half of a song and then gave up (laughs) or like there's no real inspiration when when your environment is uh you know basically your neighborhood even though I think early on I was inspired by that. I think like there was a very fertile period about six, seven months, you know, into the pandemic where I had 15, 20 songs that just sort of came out. But then it sort of stopped. Like it was like the limit of your brain (laughs) was reached, you know. Uh, And there's a song, There's a Girl That I Love, that you uh, talk about this person who uh, is telling you that it's going to be okay but that you don't believe it, right? There's a girl that tells me I'm all right I hope she means it Cause I'm way too stubborn to believe That we won't make it I know you've, you know, you've had some, uh, you know, relationships that have fallen apart that have been sort of written in subtly into certain songs. Um, you know, uh, I guess you could say love is all is kind of a divorce song or something in that vein. And I can see again, the progression of keeping that song about nature and about sort of the, the order of the universe, but showing yourself sort of as this little part of it that, you know, where the tears are coming down and you have to realize that this sadness, this, this loss is a part of the progression and you have to sort of let it go and let that be, uh, in the progression of things. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that song? 
Well, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, it's the easiest time in life for me to write songs, you know, after breakups. <laughs> so that's just a very sad way of going through uh, creative life. Uh, but what to say about Love Is All? Yeah, that time was very chaotic, and um, I was the one that decided to to leave, and it was just a big. <laughs> That's a tough one. Sorry. Well, I walk upon the river like it's easier than land. Evil's in my pocket, and your strength is in my hand. Strength is in my hand. So still Love is all from what I've heard But my heart's learned to kill Oh, mine has learned to kill Oh, I said I could rise From the harness of our goals Here come the tears You know, it's it's tricky, I think, you know, when you realize that your most personal kind of intimate evaluation of your own pain and loss is something that is the most almost commercially viable of of your songs. Like it's like these are the songs that people yeah. latch onto who have also lost people, who've also had to leave toxic relationships, who have felt this emptiness. And it's sort of like our jobs as artists to identify that specific pain and to try to work our way through it. But it's you're working your way through it in public, right? I mean, 39 million people have listened to that song at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that is, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's very, the subject matter is very common. It's like what, and that's why it kind of, kind of works and um yeah i know you were talking about that just the other day with my friend as a filmmaker but you just we just did this little short short film he came here visited me a couple of weekends ago and we just put it up and it's kind of sad in a way it's about like me losing my mind here being in my house and we did a lot of things. We went snowboarding and we were cooking and I was recording and we could have, he could have made that, that film in, in a lot of different, from a lot of different angles because we also had a lot of fun. We could have, you know, laughed a lot, but felt the importance of just like showing, making one where it just looks like I'm, where, it, you know, it's pretty true many of the times that I'm just losing my mind and having cabin fever and you know, my the pitch of my voice is definitely higher, definitely higher than in, in other videos I've made because I am a little desperate of getting getting out of this. But it felt like it, we decided to just like yeah, let, just let that be the main subject of the thing because that is something that hopefully people can relate to. Just to show that we are, you know, we can't meet, but we are kind of that thing of seeing someone else going through the same thing. I think that's important because that's what I do like with 
with love songs and how weird it is you how you can feel uplifted by listening to you know a really sad a really sad love song that you know that it's my Court Marie Andrews album, Old Flowers, from, from last year. It's just like such a hard, heartbreaking album, but it's so great and it filled me with so much life and love. Yeah, so and, and how weird is it? I don't see you that way. Not the way I did before. I'm not your object to break. You can't hold me like I'm yours. Yeah, I had this thought the other day uh, where I was working on a song with this new little group um, that I've assembled through desperation, basically, where we are only allowed to work on my back patio um, outside because it's somewhat safer um, and my wife won't yell at me, you know, because she's actually working a real job. Um, But we were working on this song that we really like about... um, a woman who loses her mom to cancer and it's based on my high school sweetheart you know her mother passed away and um sort of the idea of us all going to her funeral and um you know which never happened but it was like something that I could see the scene unfolding sort of like a play in my mind and you know we're singing about you know putting her mother in the ground at the cemetery and the harmonies feel so good. And then we're all kind of laughing. Wow, this feels great. But I realized as I was posting like a clip of the song that there's like a weird disconnect, I think, between uh, almost like the real sadness of life and how songwriters and performers uh, yeah. sort of lift themselves up with other people's sadness or our own sadness. You know, like we kind of feed off of it like leeches <laughs> you know we're you know we're, we're drawn to these dark moments and we want to tell them whereas most people don't want to talk about it at all you know is there a, is there a moment uh in your life that you keep drawing from you know like a, a specific point in the breakup that you keep dipping your pen into because i feel like i still remember those moments in high school you know, when, when that girl broke up with you or you feel like your whole world was ending and it's like a fresh wound now in my mid thirties. And that's maybe like a benefit to being a writer, but also feels almost like unhealthy in some way, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, I think I, you know, I tend to, 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 to move on because there, there are new things that happen in life, I guess. I guess my only, I mean, I've been married once and uh, had an actual divorce from Dark Birdie's home, and that was just something that kind of lingered. I just kept on writing songs about it, like Rivers and Time of the Blue, and and uh, I think there was some stuff on on the, on the last album that was just still lingering from that, but that's a close book now. That song, Rivers of Yours, which is beautiful, um, I think it's from 2016 or so. Um, you know, you open with that line, you know, so there's longing, right? This is always in there. Yeah. You know, that sort of yearning emptiness, you know, and that 
is always the dark side of love, right? Yeah. Because if you fall in love with someone and you're with them, you get married, and then it's over sometimes. Yeah. You know? It happens 50% of the time. You know, we, we, we dive into these relationships, into these love affairs, saying in front of our friends and family, this will last forever. Yeah. But 50% of the time, it doesn't. Oh, I guess it's true. I guess these rivers never knew. Yeah. No, I think the line is longing in our shoulders now because, you know, it does get stuck in our physique a little and whatever, what else is a line in there? You know, when the love is gone, but the need remains. Uh, so, yeah, which is really funny now because it's I'm really, really close friends with my ex-wife where I was singing about there and... <laughs> I, it just like it was just like universe after it's like, yeah we just took care of this. You guys shouldn't have been married. You should have been buddies because that's you know, that's that's what you were. And I you know I love her. I love her new man. And we really really close. I we actually last year when COVID cases were really low here in Sweden around September, we were allowed to have fifty people gathered. We had. I played three shows in her barn. Oh, nice. She has a really cool farm, like an hour away, away from here that we also made a documentary about. And we're singing together again. And, and then a little later, she had her own shows, and I was there. We're singing together. And around Darkbird is Home, when I made my album about that divorce, she made an amazing album about the divorce. <laughs> her name is Amanda Bergman. The album's called Docs. And it's one of my favorite albums, weirdly, because I, you know, I know so much about what the songs are about. But we were almost, you know, we were close friends really fast after making those albums. So we were both now, last year, singing, we're singing duets on our, you know, our breakup songs. Yeah. With each other. She was singing on one of mine. I've seen one of hers. So sometimes it, you know, it works out. It works out. Well, it's better when you can actually see the value of a past relationship uh, and know that it's better that you're not in that relationship anymore. You know, sometimes, you know, that's the best thing where you can say, hey, you know, we were uh, a beautiful little, uh, you know, microcosm trapped in amber in that time of our lives. And now we're a new creature over here. Yeah. And that's that's okay. Yeah. To walk through life with like in gratitude is, you know, that makes life so much easier if you think about the things you're grateful for. And I'm really grateful for that time we had. And I'm, you know, when days feels like they suck here, you know, I just look around. I'm like really grateful that I, you know, I have this house and I have a fridge full of food. And, you know, and I'm really grateful like there are birds out in the tree, you know, those little simple things. And it could, you know, pick you up in small ways and, and in big ways. So, yeah. Yeah, so you're right. You're right. When you can come back and play shows, um, yes. is there a certain venue, a certain stage anywhere in the world that you wish you could play first? 
No, I mean, I've, I mean, I am, you know, I'm to the point where just like if I'm playing at a, you know, a pizza place, you know, it would feel magic. And <laughs> I had just started because, I mean, it must have been exactly a year ago when I started a tour in Chicago. I was going to play four nights at the Old Town School of, Old Town School of Folk, is that what it's called? We played two nights. Yeah. We played two nights, and then you know the world just closed. But I had gone from the the fall before that, and I played, you know, come from time playing like really big venues like Royal Albert Hall and seated theaters of to three thousand people. And in the fall of nineteen, I was, you know, I was out climbing. Mm. I was out climbing in the audience, doing sing-alongs and doing a sketchy um, Tilburg in Holland. I was just climbing above this this um, fire exit, and it was just. I saw videos like that. It's not. That's just not. It's just dumb. But I was realized like, well, <laughs> why am I doing this? Because I want to be close to people. So I made a change of playing. So like. I was going to play these tours of playing small, small venues a bunch of nights in every city. Yeah. Just to get some more intimacy. It was a great plan. And it lasted for two nights. And then, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, to go back to, to do that. To do that because those first two nights were pretty magical. So I am just, I'm, I'm not really, I mean, a lot of vanity a lot of vanity, I feel, has uh, disappeared, at least for now, mm. uh, and I hope it's going to last. Like those, not you know, little vanities of just like, no, I don't want to play that play in Boston because the PA sucks, or I don't want to play there because people tend to be like really rowdy there. It's just so much work. And now it's just like, give me the shitty PA, give me the rowdy crowd, and I will just like, this is my passion. This is what I. This is what I, I'm just realizing that I can't be without this. This is what this is what I've done for so long, and that I'm that I'm good at, or where I can feel. You know, I'm not going into character doing this. I am like stepping out of the everyday character where I try to, you know, be a normal person that you know behaves in the grocery store. Like on the stage, I can finally just be the wild one in my brain so I just want to get back to that I never knew I was a lover just cause I steal the things you hide just cause I focus while we're dancing on just cause I offered you a ride still I am not from Barcelona no I am not even from Madrid I am a native of the up any gear. Well, if you reinvent my name, well, if you redirect my name, I want to be the king of Spain. It always amazes me how universal and how powerful certain songs are like Paul Simon's Graceland, right? Which you've covered and, you know, many people have covered, but it's, it somehow has this staying power, right? 
It was written, I think, in the mid-80s, probably. Um, and it feels like it could exist in any part of history. Yeah. It's like an ancient cave painting. You know, that's like Graceland to me, like now, right? It exists all over the world as part of our connected consciousness. Um, but like, how does a how does a kid from the Swedish countryside start to discover this American music? Like, what is the first music that starts hitting you? I mean, I grew up in a house where like, my parents, you know, had a lot of records. And so I listened to those. But then I am, I mean, I'm really nostalgic about the little library we had in my small town because you could, you could borrow CDs. And the internet was around. And it was around. I mean, I put up Salt Man on Earth, started on MySpace, but it was just like, there's still CDs. And I went to the library and you could borrow 10 records at a time. And I just picked a bunch of records that looked cool. And I came home, put one in the player. It's like, yeah. And the next time, like, what the hell is this? And then, you know, Skip James. And, and then, I mean, I guess I got Bob Dylan from from home and like through Bob Dylan and then there was the actual internet with the the era of the mp3 blogs which feels like I can also be super nostalgic about like what a magical time of this like weird mp3 blogs that had like weird Americana like very narrow some of them and it was just amazing the stuff you found and then you know, I listened to a lot to Bob Dylan, and I found that his bootlegs on whatever that website was called. It was like a forum. And then you could hear the songs he was playing in the beginning, because there was a bootleg from whatever show he did in the beginning. And then, you know, I could dive in from there and find Roscoe Holcomb and, you know, Bascom and Marlins for and all, all the banjo crazies. And so I, that was, you know, from growing up in a sports town... You know, I did all the sports, uh, but like realizing there was there was something else in me, and and you know starting to tinker around with music, and then getting the the empowerment of just like finding all like yes, I can do this, and also I can be you know because I don't wanna I don't wanna play dude rock. Like there's what you can do do here yeah. or play metal. The, the bands around here, I can actually like s try to sound like I come from space, like Skip James, like Hard Time Killing Floor Blues or Devil Got My Woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I got into like recording on these really old tape recorders, these reel to reel recorders, because they made weird things to the pitch, and I could just be as weird as I wanted to. So I was just having, I, I, I found my, I felt like I found my, my place on earth. I can, it feels like I'm still there. I'm still doing that. Hot times is here and everywhere you go. Times are harder than ever been before. What did your folks do when you were growing up? Uh, well, they were, you know, they were working and 
working and struggling in the Swedish economy of the 90s. It was, you know, my, my mom worked as a social worker and uh, my dad. He's a construction engineer and in the early 90s, the economy just super crashed here. So yeah, they were, they were making ends meet. But also very supportive of stuff I I did. Like in, I was doing sports, and then now and later with music, they were just whatever. You know, as long as I stayed out of trouble, it was a good thing if I was doing something. So, yeah. was there any other members of your family that played music or that sort of inspired you? Well, my both my parents are musical and. Uh, my mom sang a lot when I was a kid, so, and we have this, um, like, folk music around here, uh, in this, we're kind of in the, in the epicenter of Swedish, like, folk culture, like the, our, yeah, our, the fiddle music and the old, you know, folk ballads are, many of them are from around this area, and this, this, like, modal mm. music that just, it's in harmonic minor, uh, or is it, no, melodic minor. We have as you know, that scale that's different going up and going down, you know, and also growing up in this area, you, you heard that, that kind of fiddle music in the, during the summers and also had ABBA records and that must be some kind of psychological thing where just like, I kind of love ABBA when I hear ABBA, you know, it's just a comfort thing. So I play clarinet and... I found the guitar and she's like, yeah, this is more, this is more fitting me because then I can run around while playing. I'd like to see a tour with you and uh, first aid kit. Yeah, that'd be great. Clara from first aid kit was also a part of those uh, shows we did um, in the fall in my ex-wife's barn. And we, so we, we sang, actually sang The Garden together, wow. me and Claude. I discovered them around the same time I discovered you and um, their first record. And I remember seeing them at the Echo in L.A. with 10 people in the audience. And now they're playing, you know, the Greek theater, you know, to 10,000 people. I mean, it's really amazing how some music, you know, yourself yeah. included, has been so embraced by uh, audiences around the world and... I think because of maybe the timelessness of the stuff that you guys are creating, you know, you're very um, honoring of uh, classic American music, blues, roots, but you're doing something completely your own. You know, you're not trying to like, you know, be Skip James. You know, you are doing something that only you can do, which I think is really awesome. Yeah, maybe there's a luxury of being like being outside of it, and so you can just you know you, I could I could pick a little from there and a little from there, you know. And uh, yeah, what is going to come from you next? Is there a new record brewing? There's definitely a new record brewing, but I don't I haven't felt any rush to um, to finalize it or to finish it or even think about when it's going to be out because you know now I'm focused on getting back on the road and playing playing shows and there's just you know there's so much I'm a little tired of living my life on the internet so the thought of just like promoting something 
like that right now. And there's a lot of things coming out. I'm going to let that, but there might be, you know, a song, a single here and there that will, that I will just like release out into the world. I'm, I think I'm going to do that. Just release some songs. If you could send us off with uh, one song from your new record, which one and why? Wow. Um, well, it's very melancholic, but it just, let's just do the la- like the title track. I love you. It's a fever dream because it is. I don't know. To me, it's hopeful. To me, it's hopeful. I'm driving here through it all I've seen this road so many times before It's where I'm from, oh my heart Since I've been gone they changed the sunset time And they yell so loud as I move on Cause I've been thinking about the mystery I'm driving through it all And I've been singing to the beaten rain It's a big refrain after all Now talk of summer on the radio Maybe that's where I'll go That's where I'll start I'll take a plane so high above your house Will I get it right this time? I'll be the star of all this beaten rain It's a big refrain after all But I keep the hope I carry Little things so I can love Wherever I go
Big thanks to the tallest man on earth for talking to me all the way from Sweden. You can go to thetallestmanonearth.com for his music and his tour dates. His newest record is called I Love You. It's a fever dream. And uh, I believe there's a tour date at Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado in October coming up with Mandolin Orange. So check that out. Uh, and if you haven't heard our episode with Mandolin Orange, go back to our archives, theshowontheroad.com slash episodes. It is actually our most listened to episode ever. And if you go to the mothership, the bluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that back in 2019, there's a really cool video posted with the tallest man playing with Chris Teeley on Live From Here. So check that out. It does seem like there is a light forming at the end of this long pandemic tunnel. And I know not everybody is vaccinated yet, but slowly more and more people are. And in May, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be heading to Colorado for some Memorial Day weekend shows at Levitt Pavilion in Denver and at Meadowgrass in Colorado Springs. So check that out at DustBowlRevival.com. If you love what I do on here, you will also love Bluegrass Situation's BGS Radio Hour, which this week features Charlie Crockett, Danny Barnes, Rhiannon Giddens, and more, and also Harmonics with Beth Bears is back. This time, she talks to Carol Burnett. I'm definitely going to be tuning in for that, so check that out. As always, The Show on the Road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, stay creative, and we'll see you on the trail. (laughs) 